We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Will Jackson Holiday be in the lineup on opening day? Will Jackson Churio? Will you? Will I? Will Fred Zinke? Answers to all that and more coming up on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am not Jeff Erickson. I am, in fact, Eric Halterman today, filling in alongside regular guest Fred Zinke. And Fred does the whole, hey, the Super Bowl is over. Now it's the unofficial start of baseball season. Does that thing work in Canada or is it more when the Leafs get eliminated from the playoffs than it's baseball season? <laughs> Hopefully the Leafs play longer than base- than the start of baseball season. So you're right. Not much attention comes to the Blue Jays. Not too as much until the Leafs are eliminated from the playoffs. Um, if you're a Blue Jays fan, usually that happens at some point in April. So, um, but yeah, I could definitely in the fantasy world, I can definitely see things turn pretty quickly as soon as the Super Bowl ended on finally ended on Sunday night. That game was a good finish, but holy moly, a long drawn out affair. Yeah, I was at a Super Bowl party with a decent number of people who didn't really care about football and they were uh, gone before the end. And those of us who stuck around to the end, I, I guess we got a pretty good game. We yeah. today are not going to be talking any Super Bowl. We are probably not the best people to be doing that. We're going to be talking opening day. Uh, You've got a game for us to play in this show, and that game is will this player be in the opening day lineup or not? Uh, We're going to be looking at some top prospects, the Jackson Cheerio, Jackson Holiday, Wyatt Langfords of the world, also some players who are going later in drafts who, hey, if we find out that they are going to be in the opening day lineup and regularly in the lineup after that, uh, they'll be much more interesting draft uh, options certainly very late in drafts Uh, maybe some davis schneider some john birdie we'll get to those type names the reserve round type players in a bit Uh, we do have a bit of news to cover Uh, one fairly substantial signing today jorge soler signing a three-year 42 million dollar deal with the giants not exactly the park you'd want to see a one-dimensional slugger in if you happen to have drafted him already uh, but is this an okay deal for Solaire? Well, I mean, I, uh, okay, it's not great, I guess, just by me pausing like that. Hey, look, Solaire yeah. has basically never played in a good park to hit home runs in, right? Like, he's coming from Miami. Before that, he was in Kansas City for years. Um, before that, he was just an up-and-comer when he played for the Cubs um, a long time ago. But, um, 
yeah, he ha- he hasn't he's been a powerful player without being in a park that it you know induces power. So I guess this is fine. Um, I guess what's good for him is that the Giants really needed a player like this, right? Like mm-hmm. I actually looked um, at the Giants steamer projections last week and noted that they didn't have anyone on the team who was projected to hit 20 home runs. And they only had one player on um, Tyro Estrada who was projected to steal at least 10 bases. So it was just like such, and it still kind of is like such a blah lineup. They've got some platoon guys in there, right. To try to take advantage of those things. Um, You know, they've got a new contact hitter in young Ho Lee that they brought from overseas, but like just really lacks exciting pop. Um, Solaire's like the one guy who can do that. So he's kind of a unicorn in that lineup, which probably will cause him to play maybe more often than anyone else on the team. Yeah, just looking at the other options that we have listed in the D8 step chart. I mean, Michael Conforto, they're going to need him in the outfield a lot. Wilmer Flores, uh, he'll play the corner infield. The Giants have been a team who mix and match all the time. But I think, like you said, you can't mix and match everywhere. And they're going to need someone with real pop. And we are talking about a player who hit 48 homers while a member of the Royals and 36 while a member of the Marlins. So mm-hmm. I guess there's something to be said for the fact that if you have as much power as he has, the park matters a little bit less. Of course, it matters, though, for everybody in some extent. Yeah, I mean, overall, like, I, I don't think this Giants team is good enough to to get a wild card spot in the NL. Um, I don't think the pitching staff, it, maybe they were a team, uh, like, when I looked at their lineup, I, I was like, okay, well, if I look at their pitching staff and it looks really good, maybe they can just kind of, like, scrap their way to uh, the last wild card spot, you know, like guys like Lamont Wade Jr., like who have massive platoon splits, Conforto, Yastrzemski, you know, and then you get some guys in there like Wilmer Flores, who are kind of a little bit underrated as a hitter and, you know, quietly kind of okay, J.D. Davis. But then you look at their pitching staff and it's just not good enough. Like the, the starting rotation beyond Logan Webb, um, it doesn't have another reliable arm. There, there's no one else in that rotation who I even see probably throwing 150 innings this year who I see maybe having an ERA below four or 3.9 or 3.8, maybe at best. So um, I think this team, like I said, is just not good enough. So I'm not sure. I don't think Soler really changes that. They would have to do more. It would be really cool if they did do more. There's still a lot of good players, a few good players out there, like and they have room and their team to do more. But if this is it, I think it's just not good enough for Soler. I think even despite the park, he could hit 30 home runs just by playing a lot. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. Speaking of NL West teams who aren't quite there and signings which aren't quite enough to take them over the hill, uh, Jerkson Profar, he's back with the Padres, one year, $1 million. There's playing time in that San Diego outfield, right, to fit the uh, topic that we're discussing today. Uh, is Jerkson Profar in the opening day lineup for the San Diego Padres? And I guess should fantasy drafters care if he is? Uh, so yes and then no. Um, yeah, uh, sounds right. The, there are there are, I've rarely seen a lineup more top heavy and bottom weak than this Padres lineup. Like you look, not that they like they've lost a lot in losing Soto, but just in the top four as far as big names, like you've got Bogarts in there, you've got Hasian Kim who had a bit of a breakout last year. You've got obviously Tatis and Machado, that's amazing, and then it just falls off a cliff. Like Jake Cronenworth has been hit well the last couple of years. Uh, Luis Camposano is kind of interesting, but he's a catcher. And then, holy moly, like seven, eight, nine. Um, I think 
I don't think many people could name who's supposed to hit seven, eighth and ninth for the Potters, even fantasy analysts, which is would struggle to do that. So Profar probably is in the starting lineup if things don't change. Um, this team, as much as any team, could could get way better just by adding anyone competent to play third base and another outfielder. Like that would make that would be a huge difference because the players they have in there right now, um, you know, are projected to have forget like a 700 OPS. So they're, they're projected to have like a 600, maybe a 650 OPS, and they do have some talent. It's not deep again, but the rotation does have some talent in it. But I just think this is a top heavy team. Profar plays, but I don't think he does enough to merit consideration in fantasy leagues. Maybe like, maybe he's a stream guy in 15 team leagues when they have seven games or the week they go to Coors or something like that, but that's about it. Yeah. Just thinking even in say a very deep NL only league, he played 125 games last year and finished with nine homers and one steal and a 242 average. So you're going to have to be hoping even in those pretty deep formats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy who might be a little bit more interesting, maybe in these very deep NL only leagues, Jesse Winker, non-roster invitee with the Nationals. Of course, the floor here is quite low because things haven't gone well for Jesse Winker lately, but it's not very far removed from Jesse Winker being a well above average hitter who has contact and power. And hey, he's just found himself on a roster that doesn't have a lot going for it. Is this the kind of chance that you might be interested in taking or are we past Jesse Winker's time as a fantasy relevant player? I think in NL only leagues, he's someone to draft. I like, we'll, we'll see how, like it's too early right now, but we'll see what the reports are at a spring training. But uh, you know, like he's almost certainly, well, I wouldn't say almost certainly, he's probably a platoon, platoon player uh, for them. Cause he has his career OPS against righties about 200 points higher than that against lefties. Um, but if he's on the heavy side of a platoon on a Nats team that, like he said, doesn't have a lot of depth in the lineup right now, uh, I think he could be an NL guy. Yeah, I think he's worth a dollar in NL only leagues. Um, maybe if he had a great spring, two dollars in NL only leagues. I don't think he's a mixed league person to draft because, again, he's a platoon player. He's someone who hasn't played well the last few years. He's someone in a crummy lineup. I was kind of disappointed uh, by the whole thing because um, I'm a bit of a Stone Garrett truther. Garrett's 28 mm-hmm. years old. He's never really got that much of a run uh, in the majors. Um, I've seen some flashes from him, and I thought maybe this year he was kind of penciled in as their as a DH outfielder type guy. In in his career, he's at 310 at bats. He's got an 813 OPS. Why would they not give him a real shot? I, and he and he can run a bit. I don't know why they would the Nats won't give him a real shot, but especially with the options, like why play Victor Robles over him? Why play Winker over him? But anyways, that's my rant about Stone Garrett. He's going to end up on their bench or not on the team at all. He's going to be another $1 NL guy. But I was hoping that maybe he could play every day and might factor into mixed leagues. Yeah, his latest note from late January on Rotowire is that he's a long shot for opening day. Uh, He uh, broke his fibula in August. So it's possible that this Jesse Winker signing is, hey, we're not going to have Stone Garrett in early April. but. It's only Jesse Winker. It's not like he's blocking the spot later. So maybe. No, that's true. I thought he would be back from that by opening day. But yeah, as you said, maybe he won't be ready. Something to keep an eye on. If he's not ready, I guess that makes Jesse Winker a more appealing play. Although still Jesse Winker level of appeal we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, One more for deep NL only leagues. That seems to be the theme of today's transactions. Nick Gordon traded from the twins to the Marlins for Stephen Okert. 
Uh, do you have a take on this one beyond the fact that, man, the uh, Twins changing into the Marlins uniforms and then trading their whole team to the Marlins over the last couple <laughs> of years has been a bit confusing? Yeah, um, I, this was a trade I think that kind of makes sense for both teams. Um, the Marlins have a lot of bullpen depth and still have really good bullpen after making this trade. And then this is Nick Gordon's last shot, right? He's out of, he's out of options, so um, he needs to turn the corner right now. Uh, you know, he, he, he showed some flashes in 2022, 405 at bats, 743 OPS, 272 batting average. Um, he can run a little bit. Uh, that's not bad for a middle infielder, like either for a, like a lower in the lineup starting infielder, um, or just like a utility guy, right. Can play some infield, can play some outfield. Um, like, like that, that's not bad. If you can have a utility guy, you know, he has experience at second, he's got experience at short, he's got experience in center in left. Um, if you can have a guy who can play all those positions and can have an OPS in the seven hundreds, that's not bad. And that's what the Marlins now have picked up. The Marlins, like I, I talked to Jeff about this a couple weeks ago that I don't mind the Marlins roster. I actually like their pitching staff. And I think their lineup has some good pieces. Um, they're a team to me that needs, I thought they need like at least like a better shortstop than John Birdie as a full-time player and move Birdie back to the bench. I could see them having kind of an interesting bench, I guess, if they had Gordon and Birdie on the bench, just a lot of versatility on the bench, maybe add in a slugger and they'd be off to the races on the bench. Um, but I don't know, maybe the Nick Gordon signing that gives them a utility type guy on the bench. Maybe that's a sign that Birdie at 34 years old is going to be their starting shortstop. Yeah, just looking at who the shortstops who are still out there. I mean, it's guys like Ahmed Rosario, Tim Anderson. Are those big upgrades yep. on John Birdie at this point? Uh, John Birdie was somebody we were going to mention later during our "Will he be in the opening day lineup?" segment. But let, let's play that game now. Do you think? Do you think that we can make that call? This signing means their Marlins are done on the infield, and John Birdie's the guy. You can safely draft him in the reserve round. I, I don't think it definitely does, but. Like if I was going to put, I would have said before this trade that there was only maybe like a 25% chance that birdie, like I thought for sure they were going to bring in a shortstop. Now maybe I'm more like 50, 50, like birdie. When you look at it, like last year, he like his Babbitt was actually not that high, like 349. It's a little high, but for someone speedy like him, it's not crazy high. And with that Babbitt, he hit 294. So you got, if like, if he could hit 260, 270 with speed, at the bottom of the lineup, um, you know, and last year he appeared in 133 games. Now I know like some of the, a lot of those are off the bench, but uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe they're going to go with him. I don't know. I, you're right that like someone like Ahmed Rosario or Tim Anderson, isn't that much of an upgrade over birdie. So maybe they said, forget it. We'll use birdie. We'll have Nick Gordon play sometimes that way we can give Gordon a chance. He's 28, you know, it like formerly a good prospect. Um, I still, I just think that lineup needs one more piece, but now I wonder if maybe the piece it needs is actually like a DH type and Avisel Garcia goes to, uh, goes to the bench that maybe would be a better fit for them. Cause they've got, he's kind of sc- like, like not totally reliable. Jesus Sanchez hasn't really broken through like maybe an outfield DH type would, uh, be the last piece for them. But as I said a minute ago, I, I, I like their pitching staff and I like some parts of their lineup. I just think it like. Like it's a little similar to the uh, not quite as good, maybe, but a little similar to the Padres where like, I like some pieces at the top, but really don't like the bottom. Yeah. Being perpetually short, one good player seems to be the way the Marlins tend to build their team, but they can add a bat JD Martinez, Brandon belt, maybe Adam Duvall. You could see any of those guys being in their price range and taking away. Yeah. All of those players. Yeah. Exactly what I was picturing 
like all of those players could kind of hit. Well, if it was JD, he could hit clean up for them, but right. all those players could kind of hit anywhere from say fourth, fifth, sixth in their lineup and lengthen it. So that uh, Abisail Garcia at the top of the DH depth chart, not very safe there. Not that there was uh, much interest for fantasy yeah. purposes in yeah. this year's version of Abisail Garcia. Uh, let's hit on quickly some injury updates because we're in that time of the spring where we're starting to get that news of, hey, this guy feels good. This guy is a little bit behind schedule. We can go through these pretty quickly because for the most case, these are the expected updates uh, we would think that we would hear this time of year. Uh, Shohei Otani swinging at 100%. Do we move our rankings at all based on that level of Shohei Otani news this spring? Or is the expectation, yeah, he's going to be swinging and we'll just see whether or not his rehab affects him once the real games begin. Yeah, for me, I didn't move him. I, I was already like, I wouldn't say I was, I was really bullish on him, but I, I'm comfortable with him where he is. Like late first, early second round, like I was already comfortable with him. I think he'll play enough to justify you know, that pick, if, if he played, if Otani plays, you know, most games all year and he plays like he did last year, he'll be a great, bar- he'll be a bit of a bargain at the end of the first round, truthfully. But, but I understand him being there, like pushed back a little bit uh, because of the injury risk. So, no, I, I, th- I think, I think everything's going according to plan. I can maybe if he was really raking in spring training, see him pushing back up into the top 10. Yeah, potentially. I think I am preparing to not adjust my ranking of him. I'm a little bit low on him this year, just based on his experiences. Last time he was doing this exact same thing, he did not hit to the levels we're expecting of him. And I don't think that anything we're going to see in spring will change that. But, you know, if I see enough gifts of him hitting 600 foot home runs, we'll see if I can hold off on moving him up. Uh, how about his teammate, Walker Bueller? Maybe trending in the other direction. I'll just read you his last three headlines from his player notes at Rotowire. Uh, we had start of season could be delayed and then won't be an opening day rotation. And now we have season debut undetermined. Uh, so, not what you want to hear if you took a chance on Walker Bueller early. Uh, if you were drafting now or soon, you would be drafting Walker Bueller as if he's going to debut, what, in maybe late April, maybe May? Or are you pretty worried and not going to be the one taking a chance on him, given the direction this is going? Yeah, I I, I probably wouldn't draft him. Like, obviously, it depends on if you're in a league. Like, oh, I wouldn't, like, a tout war. Well, a tout, regular tout wars. Mine's draft and hold. I, I don't know if I'm super excited for that one. I, I guess I consider it. In a tout wars league or a labor league where you have unlimited IL, um, sure. I'd, I'd be fine with taking Walker Bueller late in like an NFBC style league. Like you can kind of only take one guy like this where you're drafting someone who, you know, you're going to have to stash on your bench for the first month. Like you need those bench spots, um, especially in April. I don't think Walker Bueller's the guy. I think I'd rather take a hot prospect, take a different injured player. I don't know. I don't think Walker Bueller is going to be the guy for me if I was in that format uh, because of this, the cost of stashing him. So would, would you be comfortable? Would you, like, are you willing to stash him in an NFBC league? I don't think so. And I think for me, it's because he plays on the Dodgers. I think if he was on a team that was projected for 80 to 85 wins, the kind of team that needs to do everything it can, you know, if you're in that spot on the win curve where every win matters a ton because it's about 50 50 whether you're making the playoffs i think they would be pushing for him to show up as early as he can and if that works out then he could pay off his draft price i think given that he's on the dodgers 
the Dodgers right now can almost act as if they're in the playoffs, especially now that we've expanded to six teams making it from each league. I mean, what are what are realistically the odds that the Dodgers don't make it? It's got to be three to five percent. I don't know what Pocota or Fangraphs have it at, but it's incredibly low. And if you're in that position, they're already thinking about October, I think. And there's just no reason to be at all risky with Walker Bueller. They want Walker Bueller to pitch six innings in multiple playoff games. And I don't think they really care what he does before then. No, I think that's a really good point. I just, yeah, I, I just think you're right. Like, I just, I don't know. I just think it's the situation that I don't really want to get messed up with. I just don't think there's enough upside in Walker Bueller. I guess the upside's there. Like he's done it before, but when he was doing it late, like late before his injury, like he was kind of fooling like some of the metrics. I don't know. I, I think I'm just, I don't think there's enough upside there for me to get mixed up in like you said, what the Dodgers decide to do with them. We have a couple other quick bits of injury updates. Shane Baz building up slowly, kind of a similar situation coming back from Tommy John surgery. You mentioned you might want to take a chance on a younger upside player. What about a younger upside player who also is coming off the same injury? Any interest there? Does this news dull any enthusiasm you might've had? Um, yep. But it also dulls it for probably everybody else. So if we're all gonna get, if we're all gonna get dulled, I, I I'm still interested in Shane Boz late in the draft. So if everybody's gonna get dulled, then count me back in. Um, I don't think I'd use a significant pick, knowing that, it, like in an NFBC style, knowing that I'd have to like his, his ADP in February so far is 194. I think that's gonna drop. Um, I think it's gonna have to drop fairly far before I would be interested. So I think he's not gonna end up being a guy for me. But what do you think? Like, I think for me, you'd have to drop down to like 250 or maybe a little later than that. What What do you think? Yeah, that, that strikes me as pretty reasonable. Just looking at the pitchers going around 250. You've got his teammate Taj Bradley around just outside 250. So if you want to take a chance on a young Ray who's got a lot of talent and has some uncertainty, you could either pick the injury uncertainty from Boz or some performance risk from Bradley. I guess Boz doesn't have a very long track record, so he has performance risk as well. So maybe he would keep dropping if I had to make that choice. He also got Emmett Sheehan around that range. So he'd be going in the range of young pitchers with big upside and a lot of reasons to worry. So I think that, I think that would make some sense to me. Uh, final bits of injury updates. There's two in the Reds infield, that very crowd's crowded Reds infield that we're all trying to figure out who's actually going to play. So this will lead us nicely into our main topic of the day. Uh, found out that Noel V. Marte isn't yet running at full speed after straining his hamstring back in November in winter ball. And also Jonathan India ramping up after a plantar fasciitis setback that he had over the winter. Of course, he missed some time with that uh, last season. I guess if we find out that either of these guys is going to be on the injured list to open the season. Would that send basically every other red up your draft board meaningfully? Um, yep, pretty much. <laughs> Jeff and I talked last week that um, I'm trying to kind of ignore the fact that Christian Encarnacion Strand doesn't have a place to play if everyone's healthy. Cause I think that either someone won't be healthy or he will just hit his way into finding a place to play. And I'm trying to leave my projections for him you know, in the range of 500 at bats. So maybe not 550, but 500. So you're right. Yeah, I, I think I do like a lot of reds a little bit more if just one red bows out of the competition. Yeah, and you could just very easily see the situation with some of these young guys, especially Marte, 
where they just want to be extra cautious. He's only yep. played 30 something MLB games. If he has a short spring, you know, if he makes it back and plays in spring games, but not that many, well, Hey, they've solved their problem. They know who is going to be on that opening day roster. They don't have too many players anymore. We'll just leave Marte on the injured list for a week or two. So definitely one to follow as we get through the spring. We are going to move on to our main topic of the day, some opening day lineup predictions. But first, wanted to talk to you about our sponsor, Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Coming from another service, Fantrax makes it easy. Fantrax can, Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Uh, do you need a customizable commissioner service for your fantasy league? Fantrax offers more customization than any other platform. Waivers, categories, scoring system, schedule. Fantrax offers custom solutions for all that and more. And it's all free in all caps. Sign up for you free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X dot com slash rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. We're also brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We thank them for their support and exchange. Here are their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to those of you following along live and those of you who are listening online. We will also mention right before we get back into the main topic of the day, you can go to rotowire.com slash pod to get a free trial, the good kind, no credit card required. Uh, We've got baseball content ramping up this time of year. So give it a look now and we bet you'll want to subscribe by the time your first draft starts up. And in that first draft, Fred, it will be important to know who is starting on opening day. So we've got a long list of players that we're going to play this game with. We've got some exciting rookies who could be up on opening day, could be up later in the year. We've got some considerably less exciting players who will still have plenty of fantasy value if it turns out they are indeed starters. Uh, But let's start with the fun one. Should we start at the very top? Jackson Churio going just inside the top 150 in draft champions leagues. Uh, since the start of the year, Jackson Churio signed a pre-debut extension. So you'd think this game would be pretty easy, right? If you sign a pre-debut extension, you're in the lineup on opening day. Are you feeling 100% confident on this one or not so much? I, I'm feeling pretty confident. I, I think he'll be in the lineup opening day. Combine the extension with the fact that, uh, you know, the Brewers don't have a ton of great outfield options. So, uh, yeah, I think he's in the lineup. Uh, I think his draft costs will reflect that um, it's rising and I think it's only going to continue to rise is it rising beyond the point that you're interested I mean given how many very exciting rookies we've seen hit the ground right away we don't want to call every rookie Julio Rodriguez but if you want to be on that next guy it, this is the price you got to pay now right yeah so let me see so his February ADP is 135 uh, that actually feels pretty fair uh, to me for someone who, you know, has potential as a hitter and steals bases. I did it's higher than, I don't think I would go that high. So I probably won't end up with any shares of them unless I actually, you know what, I'm looking at my projection of him. I could probably bump his playing time up a bit now that, uh, from what I had it at. But so I would say I'll probably, probably be a little behind on him. Um, I'm not usually like the hype rookie, you know, the jumps on the hype rookie guy, but so I'm going to guess that I'll be a little behind on him, but I think his his price is like, like I said, like I think for, for what he's potentially capable of, I think it's fair. I think I should probably dive in a little more now that I really feel like, like he's almost certainly going to be on that opening day roster. I probably dive in a little more and see if like, I look at his steamer production at 17 homers, 24 steals. Um, and steamers often 
like a little conservative in their projections. So if he can beat that, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good for uh, for a rookie. And yeah, like I said, like I, I find Steamer this year a little conservative on Steel's projections in general. So if he could be more like a 30 Steel guy, that then you'd really have something right away. Yeah, he had 43 at the AA level last year in 122 games, and he has 70-grade speed, according to the prospect analysts over at Fangraph. Yeah. So that seems like the kind of guy who should be able to steal 30 if he's in the lineup. Of course, we're also talking about a guy who won't even turn 20 until March. I mean, yeah. if there is a very exciting young prospect who doesn't put it together in his first season but is still going to be fine years two and later – it's got to be a guy who's this young. And so I think for me, if the if the price goes up anymore, it's going to be hard to do. Even where it is, I often, I think I'm more interested in going for the second most hype rookie, just all else being equal in most seasons. Uh, that's not always going to work out. Again, you get Julio Rodriguez's guys like that who just do it right away. And I wonder under these new rules about rookie eligibility, the new incentives to just call guys up right away, Maybe we're seeing a few more players who just hit the ground running. I don't know. I think I'm with you, though, that I think Jackson Cheerio is going to be on that opening day roster. I'm not sure about the price. Any worry, though, if the Gary Sanchez signing was a bit of insurance here? Not that they would be playing the same position, obviously, but Gary Sanchez is maybe overqualified as a backup catcher in Milwaukee, so I expect he's spending some time at DH which is where one of the outfielders in Milwaukee was going to play, probably Christian Yelich. Is this maybe insurance and saying, hey, if Churio's not ready, we don't need him for a bit? No, I, I don't think so. I think, I think sure, yeah, maybe it pushes Yelich back into the outfield a little bit. But, I mean, by the time Sanchez, let's say he's the backup catcher and, you know, catches a, a game a week and then DH is a couple games a week, something like that. And Yelich plays a little bit more in the outfield, like, like Churio – is, is arguably already a better hitter or just as good a hitter as Garrett Mitchell, as Sal Freelich, or at least a comparable hitter to those guys. So, and he, and Churio plays center field. So I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it really impacts him. Like I said, I think he's going to play and I think he's going to do okay. As you said, he, he's just going, this is his age 20 season, which is really young. And um, his draft price is already like 135 so far in February. If, if that goes up another, like that's the start around nine. Like if that goes up another round, like, I don't know, even at start around nine, I'm probably out, but at least maybe con- at least considering it, if it goes up anymore, like, I don't think I'm considering it. Yeah. And you just know that if he has a very strong spring, it's going up, it's going up sure. quite a bit. How about a rookie who's going about 20 or so picks after Jackson Churio, another outfielder, Wyatt Langford on the Rangers also has not yet made his debut. He's had even less minor league experience than Churio. About, looks like 40-something total professional games for Wyatt Langford. Just 12 of those at AA, just five of them at AAA. Uh, But we have him penciled in as the opening day DH, it looks like, on our depth charts over at Rotowire. Now, he doesn't come with the same pre-debut extension that Churio has, but... Are, how's your confidence level in Langford's opening day roster spot compared to Cheerios? Yeah, I might, I think I might lean more with Langford because he doesn't have the extension as being someone who comes up maybe at the end of April, um, something like that. Because, and like you said, his experience in the minors is really limited. Now, 
I know that I know that like he's also he's older than Cheerio. Like he's 22 years old. Like it's not like he's a less experienced player. He just hasn't been in their minor league system as long. Uh, he was certainly awesome last year at a 480 on base percentage in the 44 games he's played. So I think there's no doubt that he has the potential to succeed in the majors right away. Like his his projected OPS from Steamer is 821. That's that's uh that's pre- pretty darn good for a guy who hasn't not, played in the not majors. Not bad for yet. 44 games. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, not bad. bad at all. So to put that in perspective, Evan Carter, who people are pretty excited about because he debuted last year, he's actually a little bit younger than Langford, and Steamer has his projected OPS at around six seven sixty seven. So actually, like notably lower. Uh, than Langford's. So, uh, like, for example, Steamer's saying there's no doubt that Langford's ready to be a good major leaguer. I'm just not sure with that absence of a contract, which could change during spring training. If that changes, I'll probably change with it. Because of that, I'm going to project maybe a few weeks in the minors. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I think that makes sense. I guess the one point I would make against this is that we are talking about the defending champions. Presumably, yep. this is a team that wants to put its best team on the field from opening day. Uh, do you think maybe then Langford has as much to play for as anybody in spring training? If he has a strong spring training, is there any way they can send him down to start the year? Yeah, they can. I mean, teams... We've seen teams send guys down like in ridiculous fashion at times, right? There's the famous Chris Bryant one, right? Like, like we've had seen, we've seen teams send guys down for all sorts of reasons. And with his limited minor league experience, it would be so easy for them to come up with a reason. Like they just, they, like they could just say right there, 44 games in the minors, five in AAA. We think we want to see him play, play in the minors a little more. Teams make up stuff all the time, right? Like, oh, he's just got some areas defensively. We want to take a little bit of a look at. Um, so if they want to send him down, they will. So I think the pressure is like you said, partially on how he performs in spring training and then maybe partially on him and his agent and their willingness to uh, consider a long-term contract right away. Uh, I know they list him as a DH. Um, I don't know. I don't see that necessarily for such a young player, but, but we always get into labels and none of that stuff really matters. They can move all of these guys around, right? Like, like he can rotate with other players. Other players can take turns DHing. Langford can play in the field some. Like they can make it all work. The the Rangers have a pretty long lineup, but there's room in there. Like when you look at their depth chart, like they have guys on the bench who who belong on the bench, if that makes sense. Like Travis Jankowski, Ezekiel Duran, Josh Smith. Like those are guys who shouldn't really be in a in a starting lineup. Is more of an injury, maybe an injury replacement for a couple weeks, but not an opening day starting lineup. So Langford makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just. I, I, if he signs a contract, I will massively boost my projections. For, well, boost them significantly, uh, but I think everyone else will too. But boost only into the range where he's going now, you'd say, or, or boost well beyond? Because he, again, yeah. if they call him up and we know what happens, you're not going to get him at pick 165 anymore. He's going to go up two or three rounds. If they, if he gets announced as opening day starter, I think he goes up to around 120 or earlier. And I think I'll probably be out at that point. There's just so many yeah. good players like in that range. You know what I mean? For like, like for example, I think George Springer is like in that range. Not that George Springer is like like peak George Springer anymore, but he's a really accomplished major like major league player who's definitely a good player. Um, why Langford could be better, but there's a lot of track record with someone like George Springer and a lot of role security and things like that. So if if why Langford goes into that range, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can go up that high for him. 
Yeah, Jordan Walker is in that range too. That would make yeah. for a very interesting comparison if we find out that Langford yeah. is indeed on the opening day roster. Do you want this year's very buzzy outfielder who can do everything, or do you want last year's who last year's. didn't quite hit on everything last year, but of course didn't disprove his future potential by any means? So that'll be a tough question. I think that I think that we are going to get rumors that Langford is going to be called up. I think it, as long as he hits well this spring. I'd be leaning that way, but I'm much less confident than we share you. So yeah. we're fairly close there. Let, let's move to the third very exciting prospect who has something to play for this spring, and that's Jackson Holiday. He's going maybe about 50 picks after Langford, and he's got maybe more in front of him, I would say, than the other two teams or the other two guys we've talked about so far. Because as has been the case for at least the last year or so, there's a lot of infielders in Baltimore who are at least not bad. Most of them are young and interesting. Uh, the news is that Jackson Holiday is going to play some second base this spring, but that's where Jordan Westberg plays. And he's not as high of an upside prospect as Jackson Holiday, but he's a real prospect who should be quite a good major leaguer. It's also Jorge Mateo at shortstop. Uh, right now, those two are listed as top of the depth chart on Rotowire with Holiday not claiming a starting spot. Uh, so would you lean that way and say Holiday probably not in the opening day lineup? Yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say lower odds than Lankford, um, even though he's ranked higher, maybe on some prospect lists. But but that factors in glove work as well um, and, and age. Holiday's just 20. So Langford's 22, so I can see where prospect people come from, but we only care about this year. I would say probably no. Um, again, to jump back to Steamer for a minute, like they're projecting his OPS this year to be around 725 or 720. So, like, okay. Not to say that they're right, but just comparing them to some of the other players that we've talked about. Um, like you said, the, the Orioles, uh, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, Jordan Westberg, like they have middle infielders. So I could see how a holiday spending April in the minors and see how he does to start the season. And maybe he comes up in May and maybe he's not off to a good start in the minors. Maybe he stays down until June or July. Um, but w- now my question for you is, is would you still draft holiday? Would you draft and stash? I would. Yeah. I wouldn't, if I thought that he wasn't coming up till July, right. You're, you're paying up yeah. much too so his high ADP's, for that. His ADPs right now is 195 in February. Would you draft and stash at that ADP? If you're stashing, I think at that ADP, you better think that there's a real chance he's up before the end of the month. I think I I want five plus months out of my guy. And I think that that's reasonable. Although if we hear specifically, he's not coming up on opening day, that's probably because he's not having a great spring or because they have clear other plans. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a team that needs every win it can get, right? They should be, Mm in the playoffs, I would think, but they also are in a very competitive division. Uh, they can't just assume they're going to walk in. They can't just say, Jackson Holiday, you've got four months to prepare yourselves for the playoffs in the minors. We don't really care about what's going on at the big league level. If they think that he's going to help them win, he's going to be up, And which means if we think he's not going to be up, it's probably because they don't think he's going to help them win. So I'm trying to Imagine what the scenario would be when we hear the negative news, he's not up, but we still retain some level of optimism. I think three, four years ago, before we had the new rules about 
you know, getting an extra draft pick if your guy wins rookie of the year from after he's on the roster from opening day. I think in that new reality, teams are going to want to have the chance at that extra draft pick. And I think if we hear negative news about holiday, I think there's going to be something behind it. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. And like you said, the Orioles, like they they're in, they're into their win now mode. Um, their window is fairly open. Like it's not closing anytime soon with the ages of some of their, of their better players, but, but they're in their win now mode. And uh, even though they were a great team last year, and I think they could be a great team again this year, um, they did overachieve last year in the regular season from what a lot of people projected. And that division, as you mentioned, like the Rays are always good. The Yankees have improved. The Blue Jays were good last year um, and believe that some of their hitters can play better than they did last year. So like, like that's a, that they are not going to run away. I doubt that they will run away with that division this year. So, and, and I think they probably expect that. So they've got a good roster. They can win the division, uh, but they need to be compete. Their, their April games matter. For sure. And so, again, if we hear positive news, I mean, if, if we hear that there's an extension brewing for holiday, I would not be at all surprised. And then, of course, I'm, I'd am i be in. But I think at current price, I think there's too many ways that it's not going to work out. And at current price, you need him up quite early. So I think I'm not interested until we get something that sounds much more like confirmation. That should cover the big prospects everybody is interested about this spring. Uh, so let's look at some more job battle type situations. You put somebody on the list who is a little bit cheating the category. That's Edouard Julien. I think everybody thinks that he is going to be the primary second baseman. Are you smirking at my attempted French there for Edouard Julien? No, I was not smirking at it. I just, he was a little bit of a cheeky person, to, like you said, player to put on there because he doesn't match every, he's like, doesn't match everyone else on the list. Exactly. But I put so him on the for reason, reason that you're about to explain yes. why. Yes. The reason that Edouard Julien is on the <laughs> list here is that the twins will be facing a lefty on opening day, Cole Raggins. And if Edouard Julien is a true everyday player, presumably that makes him even more of an interesting mid-round option. He's going outside the top 200 for a guy who showed some promising skills, some power, and some patience last year. If he's an everyday player, that's a real bargain. Of course, there's reason to believe he won't be an everyday player because he didn't really play against lefties last year, and he didn't give any reason to think that he should be playing against lefties. So how are you reading this situation as it stands at the start of spring training here? Yeah, I mean, he, he probably shouldn't be in the opening day lineup. Like you said, he's he's a left-handed hitter who had a 447. He, he barely played. It's 48 plate appearances. He only got 48 plate appearances last year against lefties, and he had a 447 OPS. So they didn't play him against lefties. He didn't succeed in the rare chances um, that he did get against lefties. Um you know, I mean, he's, he's 24, he would turn 25 during the season. Um, you know, is it, is it time to, is this the time to give him a chance to hit lefties, like bat him ninth against some lefties and just see, you know, what he can do against them, try to help him develop against lefties. It probably is, but will that get him in the lineup against a tough lefty on opening day? I think maybe it won't. So I could see him not being in the opening day lineup. I could see Kyle Farmer being in for him. And the reason I brought it up is just it, that whether he plays against lefties and whether he can play against lefties successfully, that's really going to determine, you know, where you want to draft him. If, if he could, 
have even like a 650 OPS against lefties and stay in the lineup against him, then his ADP of 200 or so is is really good. Uh, if he can't, it really limits his upside. Yeah, although if he does play against lefties, we should probably expect that batting average to come down yep. even more. He already was about 30 points ahead of his expected batting average. He hit 263. But this is a guy who struck out over 30% of the time, and this was while getting the platoon advantage almost all the time. I do really like the player, but if we see him every day, I guess that will help his counting stats, but he could be at risk at a, of, you know, a 210, 220 type batting average, right? Absolutely. I mean, last year, again, it, it pains me to say negative things about someone who's Canadian, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, last year he hit 263 with a massive strikeout rate and a 371 Babbitt. The 371 Babbitt, he's not super fast. Like the 371 Babbitt's probably not sticking around. Uh, he also doesn't crush the baseball. Like, like he's not bad, but he doesn't really crush the ball. So like that Babbitt's probably not sticking around. If it drops, the batting average drops. Like, like you said, that puts him, paints him more as like a 240, 235 hitter. And that was with him playing almost exclusively against righties. So if he starts playing against lefties, um, he's maybe more of like a 220 something hitter. And that's tough to carry in your lineup. The thing about him is uh, like if he can't hit lefties, they're not going to play him. That's not the way the twins roll. Like they won't play him against lefties. So you don't really have to worry about him getting 150 plate appearance against lefties. And because of that, he kills your batting average. Um, he won't get 150 if he's, if he can't play against bat against lefties, if he's having no success. So it's whether they give him an opportunity at the start of the year to show that he could even hit, like I said, to even hit low in the lineup against lefties, or they just say, you know what, every time a lefty starts, you're out. And then we'll, We'll bring you in for Kyle Farmer or someone like that. We'll bring you in when, uh, as soon as the right-handed reliever comes in and, and we get a chance to do it. So um, I think he won't be in the opening day lineup. And I think if he is, yeah, you I don't want him in your fantasy lineup. Yeah, certainly for DFS, that's for sure. For sure. I would yeah. not want him in against many lefties until we see that he can do it. That's where uh, Rotowire has it as well. We've got Kyle Farmer in the lineup at second base against lefties. And I think that is what I'm going to say as well. I'm going to say no opening day spot for Edouard Julien. Uh, let's stick with a somewhat similar player. Uh, and instead of a Canadian, we'll talk about a team in Canada, Davis Schneider, statistically very high strikeout rate, very high walk rate and has some pop for a second baseman. There may be a, Another Edouard Julien here with Schneider, of course, without the same problem against lefties as he hits from the right side. But Schneider also did all that in a rather small sample, 35 games. But some pretty extreme numbers can't help but get me interested uh, if he can keep up any of those numbers over a larger sample. We've got a steal of a second baseman here. But we don't even know for sure that he's going to be the opening day lineup, right? It could be Kevin Biggio. It could be Isaiah Kaina-Falefa. So how are you interpreting this situation north of the border? Yeah, this is – Schneider is definitely one of the main players to watch in spring training because, you know, as you said, that second base job is wide open in Toronto, and he's the player with the most upside. Um, he could literally be anything from the Jays' starting second baseman who plays almost every day to not making the team. Like he could yeah. like th that's how wide the gap is uh, for him right now, because third base is also wide open in Toronto. So and Kevin Biggio can play both and Kevin Biggio needs to play against right handers. Shouldn't play against left handers like Edward Julian. So um, there's a, that's actually a really good comparison. Those are two guys who low batting average, high walk rate, 
plays it should just play against righty. So Biggio, let's say he plays one or the other. Kind of fluff, kind of fluff is kind of a utility guy. Um it, but he could be their third baseman. Um and Biggio plays a lot of second base. It's right there for the taking for Schneider. I'm just not sure if he can take it. Like his season last year, like his brief time at the Jays starting on, on August 4th is just wild. Like he's one of the best players in baseball. I think he set some, he set some debut records, like as far as like, like most like best OPS in your first, whatever, 30 days, like some of these, he set some great, great uh, records. I know there were well, during Jays games, there would often be some like David Schneider is the first player ever to this or the second player ever to this. And, um, and then literally just, completely fell apart so a great stat on um david schneider is he did not get a hit starting on september 13th for the remainder of september from september 13th to the end of september he did not get a hit so that like that's how much it dried up for him he played at the at the very end of the season um in a meaningless game against the rays meaningless for both teams and got a couple hits so not really much to make of that but after september 12th starting on september 13th he started let's see two four six eight eight games came off the bench for another one and uh did not get a hit in any of them a lot of strikeouts in there uh just a just one walk in there like looked completely overmatched looked like someone who pitchers had figured out who pitchers needed a month to figure out and then they'd figure it out. And in the Jays postseason games, he didn't get up to bat, which I think says something too. So if I was handicapping this whole thing, I will say that Davis Schneider is not in the starting lineup on opening day. And is that because it's Kevin Biggio and Isaiah Kaina Falefa and there's a party on the streets of Toronto? Or is it because they've no. signed someone? Is it Whit Merrifield, Matt Chapman, or Ahmed Rosario, Tim Anderson? I mean, there's enough players out there who are better than Kevin Biggio and Isaiah Kaina Falefa if they want to go. I'm going to say it's all the disappointing things. Schneider doesn't do well enough in spring training. He either doesn't make the team or at least is on the bench. And it's Biggio and Kiner Falefa, and people are frustrated. And. And the bottom of the lineup for the Jays is Kiner Falefa and, and Kevin Kiermeyer, and that's not so great. So I'm going to say that that's kind of the vibes kind of are, are really good up there in Canada right now. Yeah, Everybody they they really the Jays happy. need another bat. The Jays need another bat. Justin Turner was was good. That's good signing for sure. Um, the Jays could really use another bat. So someone else who can play, uh, someone who can play second or third would be ideal. No matter how they how they get that player. Um, I think that now with Turner, they probably can't do the DH thing. Like Turner probably needs to be that. I don't think Turner can can play another position enough. So so they probably need to get an infielder. And I don't really want them to bring back Matt Chapman. And I know a lot of people up here don't. Like he just didn't hit well. Uh, there's not a lot left as far as like good hitting infielders. Like you said, guys like Ahmed Rosario or something, if you want to get him and try to play him at second or something. But that doesn't really move the needle much. I There's not really, unless they go and make a trade, there's not really... I, I feel like a lot of good hitters left who can play second or third. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that. So you are on a no on no Davis, on Davis Schneider. Sorry, I'm throwing I, I a lot of cold water yes. on Davis Schneider. Yeah, I'll, I'll go yes, but I'm I'm going yes, but sadly, and having heard your words, and I'm less excited about the late Davis Schneider I picked up. I do, I would still say, if you're in a league where he's a reserve round pick. He's the type of reserve round pick that makes sense to me because if it turns out he does have a good spring, he's probably going to be better than a reserve bat. And like you're saying, though, there's a real chance he's not even on the opening day roster. And guess what? If you draft him now and he's not on the opening day roster, well, you wanted to pick up somebody anyway. Now you know who your drop is. Mm -hmm. So if you can get him very late, he's exactly the kind of player you want. But I I hear that's a really good point. Yeah. 
as an all or nothing, you're right. That's a really good point. As an all or nothing late round pick, he's maybe he makes the team and he's the second baseman and, and you're on and you got something or he doesn't. And you need spots at the beginning of April to stream, you know, guys who get have a good first start to the season and you want to grab them and see what happens like players like that. Um yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Schneider get off to a decent start in spring training. Like he clearly showed last year that like when he was in AAA that he can handle minor league pitchers and he's going to face a bunch of them early in spring training. Um, so like I could see him getting off to a good start in spring training. It'll be, I think, the last couple weeks of spring training as the rosters get smaller and the caliber of pitcher gets better. Uh, how does he look? That, that is something we will definitely have to follow. Let's move to another young infielder. How about Brett Beatty of the Mets? Or we could say that this is the Mets third base situation generally. It could be Brett Beatty there. It could be Mark Vientos, although we have him penciled in at DH. So maybe they're both playing. Or, you know, it could be a a Joey Wendell for some reason. Uh, Beatty, not very good rookie season, but had some potential before that. And if it turns out that he is just the unquestioned guy in Queens... Does he become somewhat interesting? Yeah, I think it's probably I. So I was writing an article recently on post hype sleepers, the really common, uh, you know, February or March draft mm-hmm. article over at Yahoo, and um, I thought, is Brett Beatty? Can I call him a post hype sleeper already? That feels like really not like not okay. You know what I mean? With the limited yeah. amount of time he spent in the majors, like, do you think we could call him a post hype sleeper? Or do you think that's that's it's too early for that? And he's actually still a prospect. I think maybe time in New York counts double. So he's yeah. type for me. <laughs> it's true. I feel like, I feel like we're there. Like last year, people were really excited about him. In fact, I drafted him. Did I take him in the labor draft last year? I might've, I forget what draft I took him in, but, um, and I remember people being like, Oh, great pick. Oh yeah. That's a really smart one. Like later on. And, um, and I was really excited about it too. It might've been an NFBC league. Anyways, I was really excited about it too. And then it didn't work out at all. The thought process behind it worked. Like I was like, okay, I think this kid's going to get a chance early but then he didn't actually come through on the chance. The limited time he did go back to AAA last year, he mashed. He had an OPS over 1,000 in 26 games. So I think he's proven what he needs to prove in the minors. Um, the Mets have said that they're, you know, that they're, they're kind of aiming for 2025, that this year's, they're not tanking, but, <coughs> excuse me, it's a bit of a retooling year, that they didn't really beef up their rotation other than to grab some innings eaters. Um, they didn't add some big free agent hitters. I feel like pre- playing Brett Beatty and seeing what they have in him has to be part of the plan this year. Yeah, I, I would think that from the way things stand right now, I'd certainly be on Brett Beatty is in the opening day lineup. Although, like you said, they they have said that they're playing for 2025, but you've seen the, uh, the Pakota standings of the playoff odds that have come out. And I think if you look at the projections elsewhere, they're bet they're pretty similar. The Mets projected over at Pakota as the sixth best team in the NL with a 49% chance of making the playoffs. Theoretically, this is exactly the team that should be going for those fringy free agents who are only going to add a win, right? Because they're yep. at the spot on the win curve where it matters the most. So I think logically you'd want to say, I don't know if Brett Beatty's going to start this year, they should be the team that goes out and gets a, a Matt Chapman. But like you said, that they've given no indication that that's going to happen. And I don't really see that changing either. That's right. Cause guys like Matt Chapman are going to want a multi-year contract for a decent sum of money. That's going to jam them up. If, if their plan is to just kind of 
you know, mess around and see if they can grab one of those last wild card spots this year, but not be obsessed with it to try to get really good in the long run, then you shouldn't grab them at Chapman's uh, because you want to keep your flexibility to make a big splash next year, whether it's via trader or, um, or via free agent signings. But you're right. This is a team that could add bullpen. They don't have a, a amazing bullpen behind Edwin Diaz and, um, or could add a third baseman or, or D well, the DJ Stewart's their DH. There's an obvious opportunity for the Mets, forget Beatty for the Mets to just add a masher who can play DH. Uh, but I don't know if they want to add like a Cody Bellinger type and, and pay all that money and then be jammed up again in their salary structure. They didn't get Solaire, for example, who would have totally been a fit, but it's a three-year contract that he got. So, I don't know. I think maybe they'll stay true to this. And I looked up Beatty right now in February has a 358 ADP in the NFBC. And I think that's pretty fair. I think at that point, he's maybe worth a shot. Yeah, because at least he seems to have a playing time floor. I guess if he continues to have a 68 WRC plus like he did last year, a 598 OPS, then maybe he doesn't have a playing time floor. It's possible that he's one of those guys where... We feel more confident in him being in the opening day lineup than we do in the August 1st lineup. Hmm. But I think unless unless we hear different noises from the Mets, I think he is there on opening day. Uh, speaking of adding Cody Bellinger, let's go to the team that lost Cody Bellinger and could theoretically re-add Cody Bellinger. Uh, Michael Bush, theoretically, is the starting first baseman for the Chicago Cubs. They acquired him in a trade with the Dodgers and his most recent note at the time of the deal was that he is likely to play first base. But again, we're talking about a team like the Mets who's in that part of the win curve where it would sure make a lot of sense for them to go out and get talent because two wins could be the difference between out of the playoffs and in it. Do you think a team like the Cubs enters opening day with Michael Bush or Matt Mervis or Patrick Wisdom, if he's not playing third base, do you think they enter the year with one of those guys at first base? Yeah, I think I think Bush could be in the lineup. I think he could be in the lineup. Um, it, well, obviously, with the roster the way it is, I think Bush is in the lineup. Uh, if they were to bring back Bellinger, now it becomes a little tighter because uh, in the outfield, they've got Ian Happ, they've got Seiya Suzuki. They have Mike Talkman in their lineup right now, which doesn't really feel that great. Maybe Chris Morrell could go maybe he could go to the outfield and that would open up DH for someone like Bush. But again, they can rotate players around, but yeah, I think Bush has a pretty good chance to be in their opening day lineup. And then what they could really use now, they could use Matt Chapman maybe in a way because they have Nick Madrigal and Patrick wisdom at third. And I don't know if Chapman's like a way better hitter than those guys at this point in his career, but he's definitely a way better fielder. Yeah, we just got a suggestion from Chat Bush at first and Matt Shaw at third. I mean, it's possible, but I think for opening day, Matt Shaw, of course, being an exciting young prospect for the Cubs, just made his professional debut last year, though. Played about 40 professional games, 15 of those at AA, none at AAA. Probably more of a second half consideration, would you say? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Jumping back to Bush, um, so his ADP right now is 338. Um, so right around Brett Beatty, if you were picking right now, which one would you rather take? That's tough because we've seen Brett Beatty be not very good in the majors for longer. I guess we've seen 27 games of Michael Bush being not very good. Mm -hmm. 
I what like should we would you rather have the guy who's been up and has struggled and hasn't yet gotten through those struggles, but at least he's had those struggles or the guy who hasn't really struggled for quite as long. It's a tough one. Maybe I go Michael Bush just because I know one team actively went out there and got him and they were maybe similarly rated as prospects. Baby though was a more interesting prospect. I think at his peak of his prospect stardom, and maybe I can interpret the lack of a Matt Chapman signing with the Mets as something as a positive endorsement from their side. It's tough. I think that I might end up with Bush just for psychological reasons that it's hard to look at Beatty's numbers over, you know, a hundred something games and say, yeah, I want that on my team, but I don't think I'm feeling very confident in doing that. Uh, Which way would you side there? Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Bush. Now I should have mentioned when I was talking about the Cubs that obviously Bush could play third, like they could go in that direction. If they brought Bellinger back, Bush could play third. He did some last year. Uh, and then they could leave everyone alone. They could leave Chris Morell as a DH and then sometimes in the field. Um, I'm going to go Bush because maybe he's got a little more power than Beatty, although it's pretty comparable. Uh, neither one can steal bases. That would have been, if either one of them was a little bit of a base stealer, that might have separated them just because a way they could generate just some a little bit of extra value. But you're right. It, it may be, this may be foolish of us to say, but I've just seen Michael Bush fail less. So I'm just still a little more excited in him. And that's why I think Brett Beatty may already be a post-type sleeper, unfortunately. Yeah. And post-type sleepers are a great uh, ground to be looking for sleepers in. So even despite the negativity, I I get anybody who's picking him. Uh, Let's go with just two more. We're going to wrap up shortly. Two more NL West players. One, Hunter Goodman for the Rockies is interesting basically because... Anyone who might start on opening day for the Rockies is interesting. Hunter Goodman had a 48 WRC plus in 23 major league games last year. So I'm not doing a great job making him sound very interesting. But hey, there's not a lot going on in that Rockies outfield. We currently have it listed as Nolan Jones in left, Brenton Doyle in center, and Hunter Goodman in right with Charlie Blackman as the DH. Uh, Are you buying that? Do you think Hunter Goodman is in the lineup on opening day and do we care? I'm going to go yes and maybe. Yeah. Um, his steamer projections are really good. The steamer has him with an OPS of almost 800, which like, the, like again, like going back, like we've talked a lot of, a lot of in- interesting prospects who they don't have projected to have an OPS of 800. They have him knocking on the door to 800. They haven't projected to hit 24 home runs. Again, that's over almost a full season of work. So maybe he won't get there, but um at the very least, he could be he, his ADP right now is 421. So he's a bench player who you could maybe start in in their home games and uh, put on the road, put on the bench when they're on the road at least the start of the season. While you see how things go, uh, the one thing that that makes me pause on Hunter Goodman is the Rockies are just so famous for burying their prospects by signing useless veterans, right? So I just worry that. You know, we're going to see a couple low end. I was going to say Tommy Pham, but he might actually be too good. Maybe a couple Michael Taylor, a Michael Taylor type or two find their way onto the Rockies lineup or roster. And all of a sudden Hunter Goodman's in the minors or he's on the bench um, and he's not really getting an opportunity. We've just seen the Rockies do that with some of their prospects and delay, you know, their, them getting a chance at a full-time job. I'm hoping that doesn't happen 
Um, you know, Nolan Jones last year eventually got his full-time job and got his chance to show what he can do. Ezekiel Tovar has been given chances now to show what he can do. So hopefully Goodman will get his chance, but the Rockies just concern me in that way. But um, yeah, I mean, best park to hit in baseball. He's got some of the projection systems like him and the playing time is readily available for them, at least right now. Yeah, he's going right after his teammate Brenton Doyle, who we just saw for 126 games last year, gave us 10 homers, 22 steals, and a 203 batting average while striking out 35% of the time. So I guess that that's his competition for Rockies outfielders. Uh, which which one you got? If you got to go with one of these guys who may not have a 50 WRC plus, but at least gets to play potentially every day in cores. Yeah, I mean, the cop-out answer would be, well, it depends if you need speed or power, but I'm not going to use that, yeah. actually, because um, at this time of year, like, when you're picking in round 28, like, you don't, I don't think you really care if you need speed or power. Like, if you're if you're picking in round 28 and you're like, oh, I need speed, I better get it here, like, like that's probably not going to end very well. So, uh, I will say that I had Brendan Doyle on several teams last year and did not enjoy the experience. So, uh, like, he's not a very good hitter. Uh, he he does have this like fantasy friendly ability for when he does do something good, it tends to be homers and steals. Like it tends to be things that count for fantasy. But 593 OPS uh, last year um, hit 168 or so. Oh, he hit 168 at home. That's really weird. I was going to say he hit 168 oh, wow. on the road. It's actually better on the road last year. So maybe he can get his act together at Coors and be okay. I don't know. I didn't really love the Brenton Doyle experience. I'm not against drafting him, but I think I'd rather try Goodman. Yeah, Doyle with those strikeout rates over 30% at every minor league stop. Goodman doesn't have good strikeout rates, but they're around 25%, so I can see it. Not thrilled about either of them, but we've already seen Brenton Doyle be not good for a whole year. One final player I want to get your thoughts on, and that's Marco Luciano for the San Francisco Giants. A one-time rather exciting prospect who then sort of lost a lot of his prospect shine, but then showed up quite early anyway. Uh, And now the talk is at least... Our most recent note on him is that he could open 2024 as the Giants' primary shortstop. They haven't added a shortstop since then. The other options, I guess, would be Casey Schmidt, who didn't do a lot at the plate. Uh, Tyro Strada can play there, but they're probably going to need him at second base. So is Marco Luciano a strong candidate for opening day in your eyes? And again, do we care? So yes, and now I'm going to say yes and no. Yes, I think he can be starting shortstop. Um, I think he has the glove for it. But no, I don't think we care. I, th- I think even if he's their starting shortstop, I think he's an NL only guy. Um, maybe just because he's 22 and a prospect type, some people take him in round 29 or 30, give him a few weeks and see what he can do. But I could see him even if he's on the Giants as their shortstop, but hitting ninth, being the kind of player who just goes on and off waivers. Uh, you know, someone needs this guy for a, for a week, they pick him up, then they drop him. I could just see him being one of those players, just fringy on and off waivers all season. Um, I just don't think his bat's ready to be much more than that. And although he can steal a few bases, I don't think he steals enough uh, to to make up for the fact that he's not a very good hitter. So, yeah, I think he could be, unless they decide to go the Ahmed Reserve. It's like these guys are lurking. They're kind of annoying, like Tim Anderson and Ahmed Rosario. Like they're lurking to steal someone's job. It's like, it's like when we come to training camp sometimes, and there's a closer still sitting in free agency, and you're just like, oh, I can't draft any closers. That guy might take his job. It's not as big of a deal with these shortstops, but there's we've been through some of them, like John Birdie and now Luciano, and there's a few others where you're just waiting for those other shortstops to sign so they don't get their jobs stolen. 
Yeah, I think if you find yourself really hoping Tim Anderson doesn't sign with a particular team, I think something may have gone wrong in your draft, yeah. but but I hear you yeah. for sure. I, yeah. I think I'm at a similar place on Luciano. I have taken him in a draft champions league of draft and hold very deep that kind of league because yep. it looks like he's got that path to playing time, but I don't think he's going to do a lot with it as a rookie. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up unless you have any last very exciting opening day propositions you wanted to make sure you got in on the show. No, I think I'm good. Now it's time for me to get into my projections cocoon for a week. Uh, next week, uh, Jeff and I'll be here with a live podcast on Tuesday night, probably around eight 30. Uh, for the labor draft labor draft will start at 8 30 maybe 8 40 so we'll start podcasting around that time probably do an hour or two uh live drafting on the labor draft he's picked three and i'm picked four so that'll be convenient where bang bang back to back and then talk about it have a little break and talk about our picks as it goes all the way down to the other end do you want to share all your plans or uh misdirect <laughs> drafters one through three real quick do you want to I, uh, everyone well, your it, draft there and... seems to be a pretty consent like obviously Acuna go first wit you know bobby wit and julio rodriguez seem to be settling into two three in in different orders but two three in a lot of drafts um which leaves me at pick four with everybody else probably um and it's funny i actually tweeted at jeff yesterday he was talking about the lack of correlation between steals success and main event finish that a lot of the top steals teams in the main event didn't finish very high in the main event. And I said, maybe you just talked me out of taking Corbin Carroll, except this isn't the main event. So I don't know. Um, you know, Corbin Carroll is a little bit of the consensus number four pick. I see a few more warts with him as far as the shoulder and then the lack of power in the final two months of the season. And was that the shoulder or was that just kind of hitting a wall as a rookie? Because he was really powerful in the minors and in the first half of last year. So it's kind of deciding. There's no doubt Corbin Carroll is going to steal bases. So it's kind of deciding, do I trust the shoulder? And do I believe that he's like a 25 homer guy? Or do I think he's more like, the 15 homer guy that he was in the second half of the season. I agree. I, if you Definitely want to get your defense on that, feel free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, right now I have Corbin Carroll ranked number three on our okay. round table rankings, just behind wit and ahead of Julio Rodriguez. But I felt very nervous about it and may yep. not have Corbin Carroll three for exactly the same reason. The shoulder, my theory was I might as well get a guy who has a shot at stealing 60 or 70, which I think wit and, Carol do probably it would be insane to expect more than 40 or 50 but mm -hmm. if you're talking somebody who could have that insane season like Acuna did I think mm -hmm. it's only really those two but you know how much are you playing for upside with the third or fourth pick versus floor when you could get yeah. quite a lot of upside with Julio Rodriguez it's not like you're sacrificing a lot and the upside could well be just as high uh, so I think yeah. I think I'm in a similar place I think yeah. I think he's the toughest call in this year's first round I, in a lot of ways so you're at a fun spot yeah. in the draft i do i, I actually think corbin carroll's the best base stealer in baseball i think he's better than yeah. acuna acuna just ran more last year like like carroll stole 54 bases in 59 attempts like he's almost an automatic when he goes um you right. know acuna was thrown out 14 times Asturi ruiz was thrown out 13 times like like corbin carroll's probably the best stealer base stealer in baseball it's just a matter of how much he decides to go um so for me, it's more just about the power skills. And like I said, like if he's a 25 or 30 homer guy, 
which he does profile to be, then that's great. But just the second half of last year, it really hit two homers in August and two in September. Like we just can't have that. If I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't really want him that high. If I thought he was like a 15 homer guy, that would be bad. I don't think he is. I, I think I feel good about him. But like you said, when you're picking fourth, there's just so many. I'll tell you this, since we're at the end of the podcast, there's probably not that many people who make it this deep into the episode. Yeah. I thought really seriously about Freddie Freeman. I love Freddie Freeman. And I actually feel like he's an awesome five category contributor who uh, will not let you down. I don't see any signs that he's headed towards a cliff. That lineup is so good. They play him so much. Like he doesn't take rest days. Um, like, like I just think as a five category, yeah, he's not going to finish as the number one or probably number two overall player. I think last year he was like fourth or fifth. Like I actually think he could do that or something like it again. So just as a as a foundation for your team where you can literally do anything you want now in the next few rounds. I think Freddie Freeman's like a really underrated way to st- and first base isn't that great this year. I think he's a really underrated way to start your team. Like once you take Carroll, you you got to draft more steals, but you can't draft too many more steals like you've got to focus a little more on some other areas freeman just lets you do whatever you want with your next four or five hitters that's a good so, point i will say i, I thought i did freeman, about i have thought about him yeah lot. yeah yeah there's there's a case for it i would say i started a draft with freeman recently and i did keep finding first base when popping up on the top of my board later okay. and was yep. unhappy but that may well have just been that draft. So I'm not sure, but we will find out what you end up doing at number four next week when you are back with Jeff. Looking forward to that. Um, tomorrow, listeners can check out James Anderson with guest Casey Bubba talking about some players who they think are going to play a lot more than the than the projections call for. Uh, but thank you, Fred. For the chat, thank you, listeners. Thank you to our sponsors, Fan Tracks and the Blue Wire Network. And if you're listening to us on Wednesday, listeners, happy Valentine's Day. I love you all, although not like that.